0: It seems like the winter holiday season is always the craziest time of year. At Edinburgh University, students and faculty members are wrapping up the fall semester with the last week of classes and finals and all the projects you need to complete another semester of academic work. There's also the traveling, visiting family members and friends, there's the shopping, there's the movies, there's decorating your house and getting yourself ready for the holiday season. But as Dr. Hurd and Edinburgh University student Jacob Salas will tell you in today's episode of Tartan Talks, it is okay to take a moment, go outside, and look up at the night sky. The winter sky has some of the most beautiful stars, constellations, and extraterrestrial activity that you can see throughout the year. You might be familiar with Orion and Orion's Belt that is very visible. There's also the winter solstice and some of the transit activity that has happened throughout November and December. Today, Dr. Hurd, who runs the Edinburgh University Planetarium, and Jacob Salas, who is an Edinburgh student who studies alongside Dr. Hurd and presents at the Planetarium shows, will tell you all about the wonders of the night sky in the winter. They'll also talk about why we celebrate the winter holidays when we do, and what exactly is the winter solstice. The two will then talk about what got them into astronomy. Why is it so impressive to stand out there and look up at the sky? Why, what makes them so curious about the nights, the stars, the planets, everything going on beyond the Earth's sky? So sit back and relax. This is our last episode of 2019, our holiday special with Dr. David Hurd and Jacob Salas. This is Tartan Talks, a podcast from Edinburgh University. I'm your host, Christopher LaFuria. Each month, we'll take a look at individuals who make Edinburgh an exciting, diverse, and profound place to discover your passions. We'd like to welcome Dr. David Hurd from the Geosciences Department and Edinburgh University student Jacob Salas at Tartan Talks Today. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having us. All right. So let's start off by a general question about your field. What got you interested in studying astronomy what what goes on in the sky what goes on in, the, in in outer space what got you interested
1: in that and i guess how does that help you prepare for your show for me personally i i have to go way back way back when i was a just a young child uh, my dad used to take me camping a lot and uh, i never forget he was very active with scouts And I wasn't, but he was. And I remember out with him one night, we were looking at the night sky and he pointed out a constellation. It happens to be the constellation of Cepheus, a pretty abstract constellation. It looks like a lopsided house to me, but I just remember that moment. I can almost envision it, him pointing that out and me just saying, that's really cool. (laughs) I might like to do that someday. And so my roots kind of go back to there. I actually had undergraduate training in geology, okay. couldn't get a job in geology, and then ended up in a teaching track, and, and that's what led me where I am today. So it
0: all goes back to being curious <coughs> as a child, seeing something that interests you, and kind of pursuing it. How about, how about you, Jacob? What yeah. got you into into this topic?
2: Um, I'd also say curiosity in general as a child, and throughout high school, I was a teacher's assistant for the science department at the local high school I go to, and I was also very interested in actually animals and zoology at first but back then I didn't realize that zoology and biology went together and I was like, hey I like rocks, How you know, geology sounds like a good thing to go to so it was local school so Edinburgh was the choice for me and then when I got here I had to take a freshman first year experience and Dr. Heard happened to be the one I went to and from there his enthusiasm and general knowledge of the subject really got me hooked on the program and then I was like, oh my god, this is what I want to do. That's what you want to do. Yeah.
0: That's interesting. Uh, So here at the Edinburgh University Planetarium, we also, uh, we're, we're in the middle of Cooper Science Center and if you haven't been here, we have the Planetarium where we do a lot of the shows, but we also have the Natural History Museum. We have all sorts of exhibits that create that curiosity. We have an observation deck, we have an observatory where you can look at the stars on a nice night we what we do here is we create shows we, we, we kind of cater to that curiosity so later in the show we're going to get into all things winter we're going to talk about the holiday shows we're going to talk about probably winter solstice the, the laser shows that we do to begin let's talk about how you choose the shows that you present here a lot of times we have to kind of separate our own interests from what would be curious to an audience but how do you match your interest with you know what might be exciting to a student like
1: how do you create these shows and how do you come up with the ideas for it? That's a great question. And Jacob uh, just yesterday was telling me, hey, Doctor Hurd, we need to start thinking about the spring. We need to start scheduling the groups or uh, public shows, and that's really what uh, a great thing that he kind of keeps me on my toes that way. And I responded back I said, well, okay, that's great. Let's uh, look at some significant topics that are coming up astronomy related topics and let's try to build some shows around it okay for example we did a show on the mercury transit well which happened to occur uh, this earlier this week but it was cloudy. Yeah. okay but I think that what we primarily do is we try to build our programs around something that is significant astronomically for the time mm-hmm and you know with the with the transits for example usually these are things people haven't seen yeah and and like i try to emphasize whether it's a lunar eclipse or a transit of some sort oftentimes people don't get to experience those things and i try to emphasize you know you just don't get up in the morning and say hey let's go do a mercury transit today <laughs> it yeah. doesn't work that oh, yeah. way yeah. for example the venus transits of 2004 to 2012 were great events, and you see an eight-year gap there. The next one doesn't occur for 98 years. 98 years. Mm-hmm. So if you missed it, you missed it. You missed it. So, so we try to say, hey, the night sky is beautiful. The night sky is wonderful, and <laughs> and and don't miss this event because it's a real special yeah. time to get up and look up.
0: So let's go to the uh, to the Mercury transit that happened um, on November 11th. This is something that. Just like you said with Venus, it doesn't happen all the time. Talk a little bit about the the Mercury transit and why that's such an
1: interesting topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just briefly, and I'll let Jacob uh, fill this in in a minute. But uh, Mercury transit, for example, you're right, it happened on November 11th. And the next one doesn't occur until 2032. Oh, wow. All right, so there's a pretty good gap there before the next Mercury transit. What happens is those planets that are in between us and the sun i.e. mercury and venus all right uh, every once in a while they're found directly between us and the sun and when that occurs that's called a conjunction okay now when they're in between us and the sun that's called an inferior conjunction all gotcha. right so and now now inferior conjunctions are not uncommon they happen quite often But what is uncommon is for that particular planet, whether it's Venus or Mercury, to move right in front of the disk of the sun. Now that's the exception to the rule. When that occurs, that is called a transit. Yeah, Yeah, we
2: also have um, transits of things like moons. You know, um, every so often we have a lunar eclipse or a solar eclipse where the Earth's shadow or the moon's shadow passes in front of us and those are kind of more common, but there's also transits on other planets. I was just reading an article the other day about Phobos, one of Mars' moons, and the Curiosity rover, how there was an eclipse of the sun by one of the moons, and you were able to see on the Curiosity rover's um, instrumentation the eclipse happening. It was able to do that. So it's not just an Earth phenomenon. It happens across the the solar system, across the universe.
0: Other than it being not happening every year and something that is very uh, interesting to see, what, I guess, happens during a transit? What are are the effects of it? Or is it just something kind of cool that happens uh, in outer space?
2: Uh, There's no really effects, per se, to um, us on Earth. Um, Since Mercury and Venus, um, these inner solar system objects, are so far away from Earth, you know, millions of miles, uh, that doesn't really have that much of an effect. When you do look the sun, and when you do look at the sun, please use safety precautions. Never look directly don't at the sun. Don't look directly at it. Yeah, as Dr. Hurd <laughs> like says, you dry know, your
1: eyeballs out and kill your dad.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't want anything like that happening. <laughs> yeah. So when you look at the sun with um, specialized instrumentation, all you really see during one of these transits is a nice, round, black dot on the surface of the sun. And you'll see that black dot travel across the surface of the sun as the transit occurs. And that's very, very interesting. Because usually when there's um, the planets around the sun, even if it's above, below, left or right of it, it's usually just dark black. You can't really see it because the sun's light is so powerful. When it passes in front of it and you use that special um, instrumentation will be able to see that black dot. And you can see the scale of the sun compared to the planets. You'll be able to see those massive sunspots, those massive solar storms happening on the surface of the sun compared to our solar system objects. That's pretty fascinating. That's very
1: fascinating. A couple hundred years ago, it was very significant. There's a guy by the name of Sir Edmund Halley, um, Halley's Comet name, and he devised a plan to use transit to calculate what's called an AU, an astronomical unit, mm-hmm. which is kind of the uh, used measuring stick of distance in our solar system. And he came up with a very elaborate plan on how you could use a Venus transit to actually calculate astronomical units. Oh, wow. And, or to get a better value for it, okay? And so there were many missions sent out by, you know, different countries to observe venus transits okay why because we're trying to get that astronomical unit narrowed down to its distance kind of that measuring stick so it does have some scientific connection also but but really as jacob pointed out mainly it's just a neat visual event to kind of put yourself in perspective in our wonderful solar system and Mm. it's
0: also interesting i think you mentioned sir edmund halley um they weren't using the technology that we had. So it's interesting to see how far astronomy has come from when they were first discovering these fantastic events that were happening. And now that we have the technology, we can kind of look back and say, Man, how did they do that? Right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's amazing. It's Pen- polished glass, polished metal and a tube, you know, yeah. pencil and paper and, and these things that we don't even understand anymore it's yes it's really so, amazing it's
0: almost like we take for granted because we can we have specialized goggles like you said we, we can take a look at this but and, and we know the source we know what's happening but back then it could have been supernatural that could have been something uh, something spiritual there were so many explanations but now that we have a science it's almost like we can kind of take advantage of it and i think that's why there's a big draw to the planetarium shows is because Whether it's a nostalgia trip back to your childhood, going camping and looking at the stars, or whether you're interested in astronomy and learning the science behind it, I think there's kind of something for everybody at these shows. Personally, one thing I thought about when I looked at the schedule is, or when you think of planetariums, you don't necessarily think of music, like the Beatles Mm -hmm. and Rush. Talk a little bit about how you incorporated music into your laser show. Well, I know Dr. Hurd's a big audiophile. We were just talking about it
2: yesterday, how our CD player is not working so well, but I can't tell the difference, you know, but he gets on me all the time. But especially for the laser shows, um, for the past 25 years, I know that we had an old system that had a laser shows that was not really computer controlled, but tape controlled. They're called ADAT tapes. And that's, a again, 25-year-old technology. So when we recently updated it with the donation of the laser system by the um, Student Government Association. It was able to really bring in this new music and new
1: experience to the uh, university. It's a great addition, yeah. yeah. The new technology is amazing. The old system was quite large, about a yard long and, and very, heavy. very heavy and very and loud. Very loud. Yeah. <laughs> it was air-cooled, so when you turned that fan on, it sounded like a... Airplane taking off in the planetarium, and you had to fight over that noise. Uh, Now they're with solid-state, you know, laser projectors. They're small. We have four of them. They're, you know, the size of a toaster. Yeah, that's nice. You don't hear them at all, and they're much brighter. So that technology has come a long way. And they're programmable. And programmable. (laughs) And so, really. The, the the planetarium is a very magical place. The planetarium is a, you know, I always say, you know, I want to do in a planetarium what you can't do in the classroom. Interesting. Alright. So I'm not so interested in showing you a video or something in there. I, I want to do something that you can't do on your TV screen or in the mm-hmm. classroom. And and one of the main hearts of the planetarium is the stars, the star yeah. projector. Okay, so. Our programs, we spend a lot of time just highlighting the current constellations, stars, seasonal, you know, whatever they happen to be. Uh, that's a big emphasis for us because I think that's important. The laser program is is an ancillary uh, component of that, so it's an interesting thing because we've we've had live music in the planetarium before, yeah. we've done different shows, like i like to use the planetarium in creative ways to bring in uh uh, people that that understand that the the planetarium is not just where you're gonna hear a boring lecture in fact that that is i do not allow from it boring lectures in the planetarium we do some lectures in the planetarium but they're usually fun we couple them (laughs) with the stars and they're very engaging and very interesting. Yeah. For those of you that haven't been to a planetarium show, shame on you. First of
0: all, Shame on you. <laughs> uh, definitely check it out. To de- kind of describe it for you, it's almost like a mini movie theater where you sit in these very comfortable chairs. The only difference is you have an entire round globe above you where you can project the stars directly in their place. And through Jacob and Dr. Hurd, they can point out constellations, they can give you the backstory, the history. Because we're in northwestern Pennsylvania, where we don't always get the optimal sky condition. We sometimes are very cloudy, we have a lot of snow in the winter. So this tool actually gives us a chance to look at the sky clearly. We can see
1: constellations, we can put things together. You know, one of my favorite yeah, things to say to the audience, and Jacob yeah. will know it, I would say, welcome to the Edinburgh University Planetarium where there's never a cloud in the sky, <laughs> and the temperature's always just right. <laughs> it is.
0: It definitely is. Because, that, that, I mean, that's one of the... It's, it's nice to go outside and take a look at things close up, but we have optimal conditions where you can take a look at, at things very close up. So even though it's cold, it's snowy, and it's cloudy and gray in Edinburgh, Pennsylvania, the winter sky is absolutely fascinating. One of the most well-known constellations in the sky, Orion, with its famous belt... That's very prominent in the winter sky. There's also a lot of different topics that we can talk about. We have winter solstice, we have the Christmas holiday, we have Santa Claus who travels from the north and south and all over the globe. What we're gonna talk about now is what makes the winter sky so special and what sort of discussions and what sort of presentations we're going to be having at the Edinburgh Planetarium. So Dr. Heard, take us a little bit into winter uh, in northwestern Pennsylvania, what makes this sky so special and how did you develop these programs uh, for the Edinburgh Planetarium?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, winter sky is phenomenal. Okay, there's some very bright stars. In fact, uh, the brightest star in the night sky is visible during the winter time. And what's the what's the name of that star? I'm not going to tell you. Oh, you're not you tell have me? to join the Edinburgh <laughs> University Planetarium for a program and find out. There we go. So, uh, But in either case, in those programs, that's what we do is we highlight the night sky. I like to say we make you dangerous so that you can go out and identify some things in your backyard that maybe you didn't know what they were called or what they were. And the winter sky with Orion, as you mentioned, a very famous constellation. That one helps us find the brightest star in the night sky. And we we can look at some deep space objects such Mm -hmm. as nebulas and other galaxies. Jacob can go into some more detail about that.
2: Yeah, especially um, related to nebulas and deep sky objects. Winter boasts a very steady sky when it is clear uh, because there's a lot... Less temperature aberrations, a lot less things going on in the sky, a lot less clouds, so it's a lot stabler to look at things through telescopes. Um, you're able to see deep sky objects such as M42, the Orion Nebula, uh, the Horsehead Nebula, the Flame Nebula. Uh, there's stuff in Ariga, Andromeda Galaxy, andromeda galaxy, andromeda galaxy. Andromeda. Uh, lots
1: of things. So, so yeah. the night, the winter sky just holds in it so many gems, so many jewels. Yeah, so much potential. So it's a fun time not to mention the Christmas season. So it's a great way to introduce a planetarium program using that really neat night sky coupled with the season and all the different things that come along with our Christmas holiday. Yeah. One of the first things I'd like to pick your brain about is is the winter solstice. Uh, That's one of
0: the topics you cover in the Star of Wonder show, which is beginning this December. Um, take us through that without without giving away the entire show. We might know what winter solstice is. We hear it all the time, but give us a little background of it and, and why it's something that you want to share with your audience.
2: Yeah, well, the winter solstice happens, of course, every year, around or about December 21st. You know, it's the point in the year, at least for us in northwest Pennsylvania, where we have the shortest day and the longest nights. pretty dark. You know, and and daylight savings time doesn't help that. If you ask Dr. Hurd, you know, we get rid of daylight savings time altogether. <laughs> but it's pretty cold. It's pretty uh, short day, long night, and it's really a turning point of the year. Really, it's our upswing back into the warm temperatures.
0: Hopefully. So that so so from the winter solstice, is it correct to say? Um, daylight starts getting longer from then that's the yeah. shortest day of the year yes. so the days start getting longer after so th- the 21st of december that's something positive for people yeah. to think about uh
1: after we have our first big snowstorms in edinburgh pa yeah. <laughs> once you hit the winter solstice it's kind of on the upswing Well, from there yeah. actually that's exactly what ties into this the heart of the show is that you know um millennia ago that there was a festival that was celebrated. To celebrate the return of the sun. Interesting. Okay, called the Saturnalia. And so our program, The Star of Wonder, ties into that first day of winter. And actually, I show good evidence as to why Christians celebrate Christ's birth at about that same time time. also, because it's also tied into that celebration of the Mm -hmm. winter solstice. Interesting. So these things all are kind of tied together. Uh, and that's what makes this show really intriguing. I like to say we're putting together a puzzle, all yeah. right? And so I give you these puzzle pieces. And so during that show, The Star of Wonder, you're going to get lots of different puzzle pieces. Okay, they talked about this. Okay, they talked about this. Okay, they talked about this. And then at the very end, I try to bring them all together to make a beautiful mosaic of why we talked about those individual topics. Yeah. Bringing them together so that our audience can say, Wow. That's really cool. (laughs) Yeah. And you also... You also talk about, so we, we talk about winter solstice,
0: we talked about why Christians celebrate Christmas. But we also talk about, for those that celebrate Christmas, you talk about Santa Claus
1: also. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, well, I don't know. I don't I don't want to give too much away. Sure. I mean, maybe Santa Claus himself will show up. We, oh. we just don't know. You man. never know. You yeah. never know. I mean, I know we're a popular destination for him. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, but, we, but, I
0: mean, we're, we're very close to the North Pole here. Right? Yeah. 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 The, the weather. feels and, like, and the like the snow. Time. But uh, so so the one,
1: one of the things we do, though, is we really highlight uh, the, the location of where Santa lives at the North Pole and how the sky would be similar, how the sky would be different depending on where you live on Earth. Interesting. And so we really talk about why Santa truly goes south for the winter. Because we know the real answer, Chris. We, we, I I talked to the big guy myself, and and he's given us the inside scoop, and we share that with the audience. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know if I can tell you right here on this podcast, you know, because uh, it's really confidential information that I can only give out during that planetarium show. Interesting. But we do know why he goes south for the winter, and we have the actual reason. Now he goes under the guise of delivering toys to good boys and girls. Absolutely but really that's just kind of a cover-up and Uh and uh, you know so those are some things that we handle in that program star of wonder those three main things why santa goes south for the winter why we celebrate winter when we do and why we celebrate the birth of christ on december 25th yeah so you heard
0: that here in tartan talks only at the star of wonder will you have that Close up communication with Santa, where he gives away all of his secrets. So, as a presenter, <coughs> what is it like taking ideas and concepts like Christmas, like winter, concepts that you personally enjoy and personally love? What is it like when you make that connection with the audience and with young children and adults that both, you know, strike their curiosity? How does that feel as a presenter or somebody that's embedded in this field?
2: Yeah, it's really fun, especially to see the light. Um light up in the children's eyes when you're teaching them something about space or geology or about the holidays that they didn't know or didn't uh, realize was a thing in that context. You know, how can we relate Santa to space? Oh, now they're making these connections. Now the next time they think about Santa or presence, they'll think about astronomy, they'll think about these Earth and space sciences, Mm. and they'll make these connections that will carry them through life and eventually hopefully you know bring them into the STEM field um, bring them into the um, love of science in general
0: yeah exactly I, I remember when I was probably fourth or fifth grade the biggest day of the year at my school was when we had star lab come to our gymnasium for those of you that might not remember Star Lab. It was the giant silver, inflatable, inflatable <laughs> tent-like structure where you would you would single file enter, and then just like our planetarium, they would project the stars on the top of this inflatable dome, and they would they would point out the constellations, they would say what's happening. And I mean, I could remember that as a little kid, and as both of you reference your love of astronomy, of the stars, of that that all came from when you were children too. So not only are you presenting something interesting, but you may be able to develop this sort. Of knowledge and excitement for for kids at a young age like how how does that feel being able to have that sort of impact
1: oh that's a great feeling it's it's nice to know that you're encouraging the next generation of explorers we uh at the planetarium you know you kind of have to be uh, you know content is really secondary it's kind of interesting because if somebody comes to me and says hey i want to work in the planetarium i don't care if you're a science major i don't care how much astronomy you know that's really secondary you need to be excited about teaching young kids you need to be more of a presenter more of a performer than necessarily a content expert and so i think that that's part of the key here is to be able to present to these young children something that you're passionate about too but uh, everybody loves to see the night sky. Everybody likes astronomy. Yeah. And how can you not? You <laughs> yeah. know, and so so it's kind of a natural connection there with our students. I mean, if it's any indication of how much people like
0: astronomy, um, a couple of years ago, we had the eclipse on campus. We had a viewing mm-hmm. for it and there was not a an open parking spot. There mm-hmm. were hundreds of people here just to see something that happened for a little bit, one day out of the year. Right. So there's yeah. that sort of curiosity
2: that absolutely you just can't match. Yeah. I was there. I put together that event myself. <laughs> there's yep. about four hundred people from one of our professors' counts. And we're excited to do that again in
1: twenty years. Yeah. Well, no, in, in twenty twenty four. Twenty twenty four. So five we years will be we, Edinburgh Edinburgh will be in the path of totality of a total solar yeah. eclipse. And to put that in perspective, the last one was in 2017, but we were not in the path of totality. Mm-hmm. The last time the path of totality was on the continental United States before 2017 was 1979. Wow. And I don't want to bore you with facts and figures, but the, uh, again, we come back to the point that, hey, you know, the, these, a lot of the things that we have programs. Centered around are things that that you may not get a chance to experience again for a yeah. long, long time. Yeah. So take advantage of it. Our holiday show every year—it's very cyclical. It's very nice, but then there's other events that are very timeless. Yeah, definitely. Like you like you said with the with the Mercury transit—that's not something that you can just go outside
0: every every year and take a look at it yeah yeah, exactly and I know um from you know from my basic knowledge of astronomy I mean I can pinpoint you know Halley's Comet and and Hale-Bopp like you we know these things but we can't always see them Uh, this is something that happens some some of these things are take 50 years seventy years in between so having programming having a people learn and
1: see these up close It's kind of something special that you can't really get elsewhere. Right. And as we, as we move forward, as I mentioned earlier, Jacob will be putting together a list <laughs> of some significant astronomical events in the spring. And what we will do is we will build planetarium programs around them. One thing I'd like to mention is here at the Edinburgh University Planetarium, we do things quite a bit different than most planetariums. Most planetariums have what are called canned shows. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when you go there, you're going to get a particular show they're playing and it's push play and away goes the show. Okay, thanks for joining us. Here at the Edinburgh University Planetarium, we try to customize our programs. We are live programs, yeah. So we're always going to highlight the current night sky. Okay, and we're always going to emphasize current astronomical events and things like that. So it kind of sets us apart in that we do almost exclusively live programming. Yeah. Mm. More work for us, <laughs> yeah, but better impact for our patrons. You also in, you also
0: involve the audience too. You right. ask questions. You have you know call quizzes. People out. You call pe- yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so it's it's not you're not just sitting there like you said watching a canned show. It's it's live. It's yeah. interactive.
2: I like to think of it as a canned show that's been shaken up and thrown about. The room.
0: There
1: we go. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Or, That's or nice. A, a pop can. You know, shake <laughs> yeah, it up. Shake it up <laughs> and let it explode. There we
0: go. very Good. So my next question is, what are some of the biggest astronomical events that you've been able to experience firsthand? I know during the last eclipse in 2017, Dr. Hurd, you did some traveling to see mm-hmm. the path of totality. What are some of the biggest events that you got to witness uh, in your in your own life? All right. I would
1: say four of them. Okay okay a total solar eclipse in 1999 which I went to Romania Romania right, for two minutes and 33 seconds put myself in the path of 2000. actually we were there longer but sure. uh, total solar eclipse of 1999 uh, total solar eclipse of 2017 the Venus transit of 2004 we were in the uh, up by where sheets is now there was no Sheetz, there was nothing <laughs> hotel there and we witnessed the venus transit as it rose in the east and the venus transit in 2012 which we were up in beach 5 in and there were thousands of people and we had about 40 telescopes those four events two solar eclipses two transits of venus i think are stand out as highlights but but i i must say okay those are the four highlights but you know i am still enthralled just walking outside where I live, looking up on a good, clear night, wow, there's the night sky. Nothing beats that, okay? Those four events are very significant in my life, but nothing beats just a beautiful mm-hmm. scene, beautiful night sky on any given night. Yeah.
2: yeah, pretty hard to get that here in Edinburgh, so when it happens, it's pretty special events. Okay. Yeah. Um, I know from my experience, any astronomical event is pretty special, but from a general public standpoint, of Things that the general public find interesting are things like super moons or conjunctions of planets or the, um, the first and third phases of the moon, where it's very nice to look at. You got that nice Terminator or a lunar eclipse, you know, that's pretty cool, or you got the blood moon. Yeah. So, these topics that people um, talk about on or about March, there's a super moon, or in March 9th, there's a super moon. Where it's closest to us and it's a full moon. Mm-hmm. There's um, in April. There's the meteor showers that we do. There's the equinoxes. These kind of things. That I'm um, going back to the previous question where, when we're scheduling for um, events and shows for next semester or the next year, or whatever, we talk about these kind of events that are coming up and how to best coordinate them. Yeah.
0: How to. Have the academics mixed with the theatrics too, mm-hmm. so you can make make a nice show and a presentation. Mom, I I still remember, and I'm sure Doctor Hurd, you can probably give me the exact date, but I was in second grade. It was 1990. <laughs> I was
1: 1994 19,
0: May 10th. 1990, <laughs> exactly May 10th May 10th 19, 1994. I don't know exactly where. It is. I remember sitting in the classroom, and my second grade teacher closed the blinds. She got real quiet, and we thought we thought there was some sort of disaster happening, and she was like. <laughs> There's going to be an eclipse. She looked at us and said, do not look outside unless you look through these goggles because it can cause irreparable damage to your eyes. We don't want anything like that happening. And I just remember just being so excited because when, when you're in second grade and someone tells you not to look at something, yeah. you get and curious. You that. <laughs> but that, that still stands out to me as something that we all stopped what we were doing in the middle of the day yeah. so that we could learn about the eclipse and... and appropriately and safely be able to view it and that's something that stayed with me into my adulthood and that uh, i think that's that's kind of cool what you do here is you make that you bring that to life for for the people that attend the planetarium
1: show i remember that very clearly may 10th 1994 a total annular eclipse we were in the path of totality Mm -hmm. yeah it it was northwest pennsylvania northwest pennsylvania And, and unfortunately a lot of a lot of people teachers were instructed to uh isolate their kids and and I was exactly down. So. <laughs> Get them out Let's there. See it. Let them view it. Just, just there are many safe ways of doing it, mm-hmm. and, and so. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I remember my but teacher. The... My
0: teacher, she shut the door, she closed the blinds, <laughs> turned the lights off, and you know, it got real quiet. Like we were having some sort of séance. Like it was, <laughs> it was very, it was very strange. Solid. Yeah, yeah. It, but it was interesting just to learn about that, and, and that's that's something that stays with you. Well, that was an interesting talk about the holidays, about winter, and about astronomy, and everything exciting. That that happens in the sky. Well, I'd like to thank Dr. David Heard and Jacob Salles for joining us today here on Tartan Talks. Thank you for sharing your excitement, your knowledge, and the Edinburgh Planetarium with uh, our Tartan Talks
1: listeners. Thank you, and keep looking up. All right.